This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now we're pleased to bring you our feature presentation. Live from Joe's mom's half-finished basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey there, money nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Have you ever written into a podcast about your money situation and then the two jerk faces never actually answer your letters on air? Yeah, well, that's not going to happen today because guess what? Your prayers are answered. On today's show, we're answering your letters about IRAs, bonds, insurance salespeople, and more. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky caller and still have time for my amazing trivia. And here they are, two guys who love letter answering day, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. I do love Letter Day. Every time we say letters, I think of the, uh, was that a David Letterman bit? Uh, Letters, Letters. we've got letters, we've got sex and sex of letters. Letters! That was David Letterman. Man. Have you seen him lately? He's got that big old bushy beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looks looks like like 106. Well, either that or the Unabomber. (laughs) One One or the other. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Stacky Benjamin Show. I am Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter, just so you know which voice is which. And across this card table from me in my mom's basement is my friend, the other guy, or as we call him, OG. I am also on Twitter, but not as the other guy. I was trying to get that Twitter handle, the OG, and it wasn't available because Theo G, G had it. Yes. <laughs> Damn it, Theo. I'm like, Dang it! There's a guy named Theo with a last name of G. Darn it! But you know what That's Theo me, doesn't but... have? Theo doesn't have the 450 bucks in his pocket that the average person gets when they head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. How about that one, huh? There you go. Because when you go to magnify money, here's what happens: you'll find out that those credit cards that you're using are not the ones that give you two percent. Or if you're trying to eliminate the credit card debt because you don't pay off your credit cards every month, which is bad. Sinner. Center. You don't have the right products to help you get out of debt quicker by paying the man less money. Or you don't have the right checking account, right savings account. Let's say you got to take out an auto loan. Where can you look at more products in one place than any other place in the interwebs? StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money is that place. We comparison shop everything. Why wouldn't we comparison shop those financial tools that we use every day? Head to magnify money. I was doing that with a friend the other day. She said, hey, I know on your show you talk about magnified money. You're comparison shopping your friends? Yeah, I'm comparison shopping my friends. I don't don't like her as much as him. Uh, He's the fine print. He usually picks up the bill, but she doesn't. She doesn't. That's horrible. No, I was helping her comparison shop. She's like, I heard about that. You were talking about this place on your show. I'm like, oh, look at how easy it is. And she's like, oh, well, let's look at this. And we go look at some stuff. And it was it was amazing. So. Head to magnify. Bada boom, bada bing. Yes. Check shows up in her life for 450 bucks. We got some great letters from you, our friends. And guess what? We hit the bottom of the mailbag, and I'm so excited that uh, we got through them all. Just slightly under five years, too. Yeah, we are finally caught up. We're caught up on the Haven Lifeline. We're caught up on your letters. So send us more because we love answering your letters. It's so fun to uh, have a potpourri episode like today. But first, we've got some awesome headlines. So let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. 
Today, both our headlines are surveys. Survey says. The first one comes to us from a company called Jellyvision. You familiar with Jellyvision? Never heard of it ever. Oh, you ever play the game on the Xbox? You don't know Jack? Yeah. That's well, a, I mean, it used to be a computer game long before Xbox. Yeah, but. yeah. That's a Jellyvision game. Oh, okay. But Jellyvision now also works, apparently, in human resources as well. Uh, so they apparently split into two different companies, and one makes video games, and the other one does, like, communication-type stuff. logical spinoff. Yeah, listen to this. Their Alex Benefits Communication Survey talking about employer benefits. One-fifth of workers regret the health care benefit choices they make. But the same percentage of workers also concede that they ignore any written education material about benefits from their employer. Well, when did they regret it? After they've had a health care event and realized that they should have had the better plan or the or they didn't have any health care events and go, son of a gun, I paid for the platinum plan and I sure as heck didn't need it. I could have got by with the silver plan. I mean, that's I don't think that's it. I think they're talking to the person next to him and they're like, wow, I just got my will done. And somebody said, oh, yeah, I went through the company benefits and had the will done for free. Uh, oh, Oh. Yeah. It's like Debbie Downer. <laughs> I wish I could get my will done for free. <laughs> yeah. I wish I would have checked the box that said long-term disability. Wah, wah. Yes. You have to read through that stuff. My gosh, it's only, gosh, they only send you off 20 pages once a year. The challenge is most people don't want education on these topics, says Television Chief Executive Amanda mm-hmm. Lannert. No they one, want people to do it for them, don't they? Right. No one wakes up with a burning desire to learn about high deductible health care plans. In our well, ex- there are some people. <laughs> and you and I wouldn't have them as friends. Who, who has two thumbs and likes learning about high deductible plans? This guy. Guess what I'm doing today, sweetie. <laughs> It's high to pull the weeds. No, no, way better. Way, way, way better. In our experience, people respond best to plain English communication that feels like they're talking about benefits with a friend. If benefits were a thing friends ever talked about, which they don't. (laughs) Only 59% of people are correct in identifying the full cost of their health care plan. People have no idea what they're really paying. Friends don't let friends talk about health care benefit plans. (laughs) Friends should have friends talk about the healthcare benefit plans, I think is the Such point. Such sweet lunchroom talk. Yeah. The number one takeaway that uh, Jellyvision got out of the survey that they did was that employees want your help when choosing their health plans. They want- Whose help? Em- the employer's help. Oh, employer's help. Okay. 55% of all employees whose company offers health insurance say they would like help from their employer when choosing a health plan. Roughly half, 49%, say the decision-making process is very stressful, quote, on a scale of- very stressful, stressful, not at all stressful. I slept through it, right? At thirty six percent, feel tell the us where the pain is on the scale from zero to ten. Thirty six percent, one out of three, feels like the open enrollment process at their company is extremely confusing. I, when I was a financial planner, I can't tell you how many times I would sit down with people and help them understand the choices that they had there. Uh, lots and lots of times. Sad stuff, man. But you got to know that's such a big part of your work is the benefits package. And so many people just evaluate the take home pay and don't think at all about these other benefits. I kind of have a problem with the employers having such a short open enrollment period. And I haven't yet to figure out, maybe you know the answer to this because you work more closely with HR departments. But what was the purpose of having that thing be only like two weeks long? It just seemed to me like they were just rushing it out. Like, it's like, oh, crap, it's October and we don't have our enrollment package yet. Uh, You know, you guys get to pick uh, what you want to do from like November 10th until, I don't know, November 13th. I don't know, though. You've you've seen all those studies, the ones that show that you could give people forever and they still won't make a decision. Mm -hmm. That could be true, too. Yeah. Uh, Second survey I have is from Go Banking Rates. This uh, survey is about recession aftershocks. You know, the Great Recession of 2008. What's going on there? Way back when I was a child, we had the Great Recession of all right. Two-thirds of Americans, this survey showed they're not prepared if another recession were to hit. 61% don't have enough money saved to cover six months of living expenses. Yeah, that's well known. 49% are living paycheck to paycheck. Yep. 68% of all respondents' investment strategy doesn't account for a recession that might happen. I don't know that you really have to do much there, but okay. I, th- I, th- I think you do. I think you say to yourself, what if the bottom falls out and you protect against those things, right? When we talk about risk- How do you protect against the bottom falling out? Number one, build a cash reserve. 
Number two, look at your insurances. If I was disabled, if I no, was we're talking about the market. If I was, Are we not talking about the market here? Well, even with the market, I mean, I guess having extra cash means you could have some dry powder if you're thinking about it kind of a little proactively, where you're where you're saying, hey, if if we do go through a recession, my plan is to take my cash reserve down from six months down to three months, assuming I've got a stable job. So that's going to allow me to buy more at a lower price. I mean, that could be your plan. Well, I also, eh, I mean, that's all right. But I, I look at this, I say to myself, where are my goals? And am I going to need this money if there's another downturn of five years, four years, whatever? And is my money in the right spot for my goals? Because whenever I'd ask people what their asset allocation is based on, it was based on their risk tolerance, right? It's never based on their goals or, or not often. It's based on, well, this is how much risk I think I can take. Well, where's that level of risk and that level of return going to get you? Oh. Juxtaposed to time, which is what you're saying. I never looked at it that way. I never looked at where this barrel of money will be when I get where I want to go. That was always amazing to me. People have no idea. I think the big thing here, though, is I think we do have to look at our downside. I guess that's the point. And not just a recession, but this idea of risk management. People think when we say risk management and financial planning, we're just looking at insurances and we're not. We're looking at all the bad things that could happen. What if there's a recession, you lose your job? What if there's a um, what if there's a car accident and you're in it? What if what if what if what if? And cover those yeah. what ifs. And it doesn't have to be insurance. Insurance is an important part of it. But it, but if you look at it that way, it doesn't always include insurance. If an insurance agent knocks on your door and says, "Hey, have you looked at this type of insurance?" Well, now you're not making a risk management decision, are you? You're making an insurance decision. Which, yeah, you're buying a product. Yeah, which is far worse. So um, I'll link to both of these surveys in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. I think the lessons here, number one, workplace benefits. Understand those babies, OG. Get in there. Find, Take a few seconds and read the gosh darn book they send you. Find the gold because there's, there's go there can be gold in those hills. And then number two is another recession around the corner. I don't know, but have you looked at all the things that could go wrong and started setting up your evacuation plan. Time to introduce the guest on this year's show. And the guest is you because you've been nice enough me? To, to write us. Not you. Oh, you, you you're, person you're pointing at me and saying you, I, I don't, I don't know. You means. person walking down the street or walking oh, the dog or you, out on you the listener. Run. On your way to the run. Yes, you participant that's yelling at your device saying, just read the letter, Joe. So let's get to it, man. Rick. Okay. Rick's Bring the noise. Kicking <clears throat> us off. I'm going to get all ready here. Stretch it out. Come on. Ugh. Oh, boy. Please don't do that. I'm stretching. It's so uncomfortable. Rick says, recently, you touched on individual bonds versus funds very briefly. Wondering if you could go into a little more depth on the trade-offs. With individual bonds can retain the yield to maturity, the bond itself, and with the fund can see the principal change to reflect interest rate change. Just not real clear on how best to view this. My educated guess is that it's almost a wash that both are held beyond the average maturity cycle, but trying to figure out the math and the strategies in a changing rate environment seems daunting. If the rate moves up half a percent, the individual bond will yield the original coupon rate to maturity, while a fund of the same bond would presumably reflect a reduction in principle that offsets the increase in coupon yield. Does that sound right to you? Right in the wheelhouse of a letter's response. I think half the people don't even understand what Rick is asking. So why don't we talk about- Including half of the people in the basement. Why don't we talk about individual bonds first? Because, sure. an, because an individual bond, the way it works, it has this thing called a coupon that he referenced, uh, and it has a price that you're buying at. So let's talk yeah, about this those is, things. Yeah, this is- we're making it a little more complicated than it needs to be. So stocks versus bonds. Stocks are ownership of the company. Bonds are lending money to the company. So a company, like a person, could say, I need to borrow $1,000, right? And why would they do that? Maybe they feel like they can invest in a new plant or a new product line or whatever the case may be, okay? So I lend ABC company 1000 bucks, And in exchange for that, based on their credit quality, they have a market interest rate, right? So they have to price their bond or they have to they have to pay a certain amount of interest to generate interest in the marketplace to lend them money. 
So you has got to be a good return on investment. So I lend ABC company a thousand bucks. They say, no problem. We promise to pay you $25 of interest every year from now until 10 years from now. At the end of the 10th year, we'll give you your thousand dollars back. That's basically how bond works. The problem is, is that if you buy that today and then interest rates, let's say that they're going to pay two, two and a half percent, right? And interest rates now go up to three and a half percent. Your bond is not worth as much as it was because you're only getting $25 a year of interest. Wah, right? wah, wah. And everybody else can go get $35 a year of interest. <laughs> right. Right. So if you have an individual bond and you want to get rid of yours, you have to sell yours for a lower price because it's paying lower coupon. interest. Right. Yes. It, yeah. Coupon. Yeah, I mean, we just say interest, okay? Just to yeah, sorry. People think coupons, and they think like the stuff you cut out on Sunday right. time. But so, a coupon on a bond is that interest payment? It is. I mean, and that's how it used to be, right? You'd have your bond, and you'd cut off your coupon and take it, and you'd get your interest payment, and you'd cut off ten of them, and you know that's how it worked. But anyway, in interest rate changing environments, if you have a ten year bond, so you decide to loan the company money for ten years, and it's going to pay a certain amount of interest. And then all of a sudden interest rates change and now company XYZ comes out with a 10-year bond that's got a better interest rate, you have a calculation to do. And the calculation is, is it better to sell my $25 a year income stream at a discount in exchange for the $35 a year income stream in the future? What we talk about individual bonds versus bond funds, if you own that individual bond, it doesn't matter what interest rates do. You're going to get your 25 bucks every single year from now until 10 years from now, and then you get the check for a thousand bucks. And that's that. You don't care what it says on the statement because you're getting your full thousand bucks on the back end. If you hold it to maturity, which is what we're talking about here. If you have a bond fund. And maturity is the day you're getting repaid. The day you're getting repaid. Yes. So if you have a bond fund, on the other hand, now you have a professional money manager, you have a mutual fund manager, or a ETF manager, or whatever the case is going to be. And they're responsible for making sure that their portfolio has all sorts of different bonds in it. And so if all of a sudden they have, you know, they're not going to have $1,000 bond, they might have a million thousand dollar bonds. And if interest rates go down or up rather 1%, now you're going to see the price of that bond fund go down as they decide whether or not they want to sell some, buy some of the new stuff or whatever the case may be based on the current market rates. You can't hold a bond fund to maturity. Yeah, the manager. There is there is no there is no maturity. Yeah. It's an we call them open ended, right? They they last forever. So the manager inside there is picking and choosing what what individual bonds he or she wants to keep, or hold to maturity, or sell early, or whatever. You just get stuck with the price. So it's a relatively pretty simple calculation to figure out what the impact of price versus interest rate change is going to be. So if you have a bond fund, you can look up what's called duration. That's the average payback length of all of the bonds inside there. So if you have a long-term bond fund, the average duration might be 20 years. It might be seven years for an intermediate term bond. So this can have you know, some 10 years, some five years, whatever, right? If you want to have an idea of the interest rate factor change on price in your bond fund, which is why we don't have bond funds because they're stupid. <laughs> but let's say that you have a, a duration of your bond fund is 10 years and interest rates go up 1%. Your bond fund will fall 10% in price. So the, the calculation is duration times interest rate change is the effect on price, give or take. So if you've got a long duration bond fund, a 20-year bond fund, and interest rates go up 1%, I would expect your net asset value, the price on your statement, you had $100,000 of ABC bond fund, and interest rates go up 1%, pretty soon you're going to, you're going to see it go down about 20% if it's long-term. Now you get a better interest rate as they swap those older bonds out for newer ones that have better interest rates, right? You get a better interest rate, but you know, you just, you're down 20%. So give or take, that's a good, that's a good rule of thumb. So I am a big fan to kind of put this all up. If we have to use bonds, God help you. But let's say that you do for whatever reason. Individual bonds is what I would rather have. 
only there's because there's all sorts of other things there, right? So there, there costs money. You, there's, there's a lot of trading costs in individual bonds. You, terribly bad pricing on them. Usually you get screwed, but also another reason not to have them. But but, uh, but a lot more certainty. Yeah, absolute certainty. I mean, notwithstanding the fact that the company can go out of business. Yes, but. yes. Well, no, you're either going to get paid back on X day or they're going to go out of business. Or there, you won't. There yeah. still is certainty. Yeah. Much, much more certainty. Certainly we'll get some check or no check. Yeah, but people do have well, to understand. Like treasuries, right? U.S. government's not going out of business. But people do have to understand that that single issuer risk exists if you're going to buy an individual bond. Absolutely it is. Yep. Yeah, yeah. meaning you're trading one risk, which is the uncertainty of what the manager is going to do and how this bond fund's going to blow in the wind against this one company I loan money to might go bankrupt. So you you pick your poison. <laughs> decide which one you know what though i think i think rick rick makes a good point he said it sounds like over the maturity of the average bond fund that it kind of comes out in the wash and i would say rick you're right most of the time bond individual bond versus individual fund over well yeah it depends on how much money you're investing for sure you know if you're trying to put this together with 500 bucks of your own just by the bond fund if you've got no i'm saying he's talking about the fluctuation if you hold it to maturity, uh, let's say uh, uh, an intermediate term bond fund versus the volatility you're going to have in a bond fund versus the individual bond, most of the time I, I think that's going to come out in the wash. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't have any perspective on that. Yeah. Next uh, question. Rick had another one. He said, "Well, oh, he gets two for, a two for one deal today. But right. It's like going to Walmart. What, uh, uh, <laughs> Buy one avocado, get two for free. Rick, I'll tell you what we're going to do for you. We're going to throw in a second one for free. <laughs> Just because yeah. we're a couple good guys. Uh, <laughs> you talk to my friend over there. He'll get you hooked up with a free letter episode. Rick Rick says this. Remember we were talking about Transamerica, and we thought it was Primerica that we were talking about. So a gentleman wrote in and said he got a letter from Transamerica, and he thought it sounded like a multi-level marketing company. Yeah, and we, we assumed he meant Primerica. Because Primerica is a multi-level marketing yes. company that does financial products. Uh, he said we referenced a letter about Transamerica Pyramid Marketing, as he called it. We didn't call it that, Transamerica. Uh, for what it's worth, I received the same outreach, and it was definitely Transamerica. Basically, a Transamerica planner was trying to recruit me to be a Transamerica planner, too. Pretty persistent, too, so it must be a new approach for that organization. Said, like your letter writer, I stayed away, but it sure felt like multi-level marketing moving to financial planning world, which is a new twist. It's actually not a new twist. It's an old twist. Huh? Yeah. Old twist, new company involved, apparently. Yeah. I, I can neither confirm nor deny, but uh, Rick... Uh, Rick on Maybe his I'll end. get one of these letters. That'll be fun. Rick on his... Wouldn't that be fun? We could hunt that down. We could bird dog that thing all the way to the ground. To do on the show and just say, hey, I'd like to tape our, our discussions, please. Oh, yeah. Oh, that'd be yeah, a great totally episode. Yeah. Next letter comes to us from Jamie. says, Dear Joe and OG... Wanted to get your take on an allocation strategy for an inherited IRA that I have. I'm going to break up Jamie's letter because Jamie wrote us a war and peace here. So, um, and, and Jamie, it's very difficult for me to uh, to do this. There's some good stuff here, though. But let's start off with an inherited IRA. OG, what is that? So an inherited IRA is an IRA that you inherited. Ta-da! <laughs> no, let's say that uh, grandma had you know 50 grand in her IRA. But and she passed away, and now you are the beneficiary of it. But I guess people don't know that as the beneficiary, you can roll that over. You can actually hold on to the IRA and keep some of the tax benefits. Right. So you have three options when you inherit money that is in a qualified plan. You can take the money now, and you pay taxes on it right away. You can take the money sometime over the next five years and pay taxes on it. Or you can keep it in an inherited IRA and draw from it according to a schedule that the IRS provides called a required minimum distribution schedule. He may have an inherited IRA here that he's planning on keeping for an extended period of time. So he has, he has one of those and he inherited it in October, 2013. I decided to stretch the IRA using my life expectancy. So what we just talked about, I've been taking the minimum distributions as required every year since 2014 I decide to use the same allocation I have in my 401k using a rule of thumb of 120 minus my age for stock percentage. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> oh God. That, just a... Is it getting hot in here? Turn the fans on. 
Okay. All right. Keep going. Currently 84% stock, 16% bonds. However, because I have to take RMDs now and not in my 70s as I would with a 401k. Okay. Yep. Still have to take RMDs when you're 70 out of an inherited IRA too. I'm wondering if I should be looking at this in another light. I have not been able to find a lot of information on inherited IRA allocation strategies. I will try and give you as much background information as I can about my financial situation, which I'd imagine will influence your opinion. Hmm. Well, here we go. I don't know that you need to go through the rest of it. A couple of things jump out at me and we kind of poked fun at it here just real quick. But the quote rule of thumb scenario, we talk on the show about having specific goals, specific time frames, right? And that leads you to when do I need the money? We just said that 10 minutes ago, which leads us to how do we want the money to behave? How do we want the money to perform under the certain circumstances, which then tells us how the money should be invested, right? The investment plan serves the financial plan. And so rules of thumb are bullcrap because your goals are different than the person who wrote the first article saying this is a rule of thumb. And so how you need the money and how you plan on distributing the money is going to determine how you should invest the money. And maybe you invest it differently because you have a different plan for this bucket of money than your 401k. That was exactly going to be my point is that the reason Gosh, high five, bam, the reason that Jamie isn't finding anything about inherited IRA strategies is because there's no such thing. There is such a thing as you invest it based on when you're going to need it. And yeah, then what's, what's your investment plan? And then you figure out now what buckets of money do I use? Yeah. You know, it, it so happens that he's got access to an inherited IRA. Well, and that's the thing is that part of that investment is going to be based on the time frame. He has to take it out because of the required minimum distributions. Right. But it's really small. Right. I mean, does he say how old he is and how big the balance is? He's 36 years old. Okay. How much money is in the inherited IRA? Uh, $242,000 in that year. Uh, the RMD so far have been about 5,000 bucks a year. And now yeah. it's grown to 277,000. So he's taken, yeah. he's, he's taken out 5,000 and it's still growing. Mm -hmm. Which is what the IRS wants to have happen. It will balloon. And then pretty soon, you know, you'll have to start taking out size, you know, more sums, but we can't use rules of thumb on an individual's financial plan. Like if you needed this money to pay for your kid's college in 12 years, you're going to invest this money a whole heck of a lot differently than if you need it for your retirement at age 85. And you have to factor in, well, now I have to take these distributions, so I should make sure that there's some liquidity there. And then subsequently, here's what I'm doing with the distribution. Am I spending it or am I putting it back into my brokerage account? Which happens quite often, right? You go, well, I don't need the money. I'm not planning on using it. I'm taking it out. I'm paying the tax like I'm supposed to. It was a $5,000 check. I'm putting four grand back in my investment account for later. You know, all of this factors into what the overall household investment strategy is based on what the freaking plan is, you know? He's invested the majority of the money in low-cost ETFs, S&P 500 being the largest holding 12. Of course, everybody does that. He has it diversified among 12 different products, mostly Vanguard, small cap, mid cap, a REIT, and a Barclays index bond fund. Two lower cost actively managed mutual funds for international companies. So he went active and international and small cap stocks. So in the areas of international, small cap stocks went, went active. The dividends the accounts generated so far have covered the RMD with the little to spare, which makes your point. Why do you have the bonds then? I have no, I mean, in general on bonds, I agree. I have no personal feeling on Jamie's plan here Yeah. because we don't know enough about him. Yeah, right. Right. Like, like again, back to, and it sounds like we're, you know, beating the same drum here, but if you need the money in five years, we're going to invest it a whole heck of a lot differently than if you're going, I want this money to transcend generations. This is grandma's money. We're going to keep this as grandma's inheritance for the next three generations. What do we have to do? You know? And so- that's going to be a whole different plan, a whole different investment policy. And then you'd be smart about like, okay, where are we going to put, you know, I need to have international holdings. Should I put that in my IRA, my 401k, my Roth, my inherited account, my brokerage account? That's how we do that. He says he's basically funneled the RMDs into his 401k by increasing his payroll deduction. So in other words, make it so he doesn't have to cash flow, right? Yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good move. That's this, cool. This year he's planning to make the maximum contribution of 18000 401k, once again, 36 years old, $234,000. 
has twenty thousand in brokerage account, five thousand in Roth IRA, seventy-five thousand emergency savings fund and online bank with a rate just under one percent. High income, maybe. That's a pretty healthy cash reserve. Sounds depending on spending. Yeah, I was going to say sounds high, but I don't know. Once again, we don't know his income. So, yeah. has a one-year-old son is married. Wife's a teacher's in the pension his system. His one-year-old son is married. <laughs> I need to read more slowly. <laughs> he has a one-year-old son and semicolon. He, not the one-year-old son. The dangling modifier is married. Yeah, that was that, that was that was poor. Uh, my wife is a teacher in the pensions. It is in the pension system. It's a state teacher's pension system. That'll be around forever. Well, it's in the state of New Jersey, and currently this particular oh, pension definitely will be around forever. Could be the worst in the country as far as fiscal health. Uh, I think, if, I think Illinois will give you a run for your money. Right. <laughs> it's a race. <laughs> Lots of other stuff. It's like you said he sent a whole big War and Peace article, which basically brings my point full circle here. There are so many different things that he's written out here, right? So many different, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this, I got this, I got this. I got these 400 different things going on. And then I got the money. How should the money behave? Well, the money serves the 400 things, right? And so we got to know what we're trying to do here. And then we can look at the allocation and, and so on and so forth. Asset location, different types of accounts. Do you want to hear about his debt? No. No. I mean, is it going to change anything? Well, I think that uh, does he funnel these distributions out of the inherited IRA into his 401k like he has been, or does he use it to pay off debt? Dude, we're trying to solve a pretty complicated financial plan in like 11 seconds. Yeah. I mean, maybe. <laughs> Here, I'll give you a qualified maybe. Yeah. Uh, we're going to get to the next letter from Dylan here in just a second, but I think it's time for us to refill our coffee, OG. So, uh, Doug, let's talk some trivia. Everyone, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. No one's ever accused me of being much of a reader, but if I was going to read, I'd want to read something really popular so that when I'm chatting up some fine senoritas, they know they're talking to a renaissance man. So here's a question. Which book series, we're talking in the history of book series, people, has sold the most copies? I raise your hand. Do you drive an extra five minutes in traffic to save just a few pennies at the gas pump? Well, when's the last time you spent five minutes trying to save on the big things like auto loans? Lucky for you, we brought in Nick Clements from Magnify Money with a few tips on saving money if you find yourself financing a car. If you're buying a new car, there's really no better deal than the 0% financing that would be offered by the manufacturer. The issue really starts to happen if you don't qualify for the manufacturer's financing or you're buying a used car. And in those cases, I think it's a very good idea to always shop online and get a low rate before you walk onto the lot. Chances are high that the dealer will beat it, but if you don't walk onto the lot with a low rate to begin with, you know you won't get the best deal. Thanks, Nick. More than just auto loans, Magnify Money's the perfect spot for reviewing just how well or not your checking and savings accounts are performing. You might just decide to switch banks. And guess what? Why stick with just one bank at all when you can use magnifymoney.com to always find best in class stuff? StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. Average person saves $450 in interest when they go there. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. Hey, trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and before the break, I asked you this awesome question you can share with all your friends at the water cooler, or both of your friends. Okay, maybe you'll bore your one friend with this answer, but it's a good one. Here was the question. Which book series holds the claim for most copies sold ever? The answer? Some guy I've never heard of called Harry Potter. Harry Harry Potter, let's go with that. I've been told by Joe's mom's friend, Hermione, the biggest fan of this series on Earth, apparently, that if you got this one right, the sorting hat just may put you in Ravenclaw. But if you're listening to us, you're probably a Hufflepuff, nerds. See ya. Reminds me of the uh, Simpsons movie when he puts the glasses on his pig and calls him Harry Plopper. Yeah, not Doug's toughest trivia segment. You know what? I've never read a single Harry Potter book. 
I or re- single, seen a single Harry Potter movie. <laughs> I, re- I read the first book and then I just defaulted to the movies. Yeah. So, so good stuff. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they've been disrupting the life insurance industry by focusing on what you value most. What is it you value most, OG? Free time. And, and golf. Golf. Uh, golf, though, is number three behind family, right? Isn't it time and family? You asked me personally. I said free time and golf. <laughs> they were the first life insurance startup that's also wholly owned by industry giant Mass Mutual to create a high quality, affordable term life insurance policy you can purchase entirely online. And another company said there's no such thing as purchasing entirely online. They've never Wanna met. bet. Haven Life. I wish I could purchase insurance entirely online. Now you can. No, I'm doing the Debbie Downer again. Oh, I see. I wish I could. And qualified healthy applicants can even skip the medical exam. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote and to learn about life insurance the modern way. I was looking at uh, Haven Life prices recently. Friend of mine, 50 years old, looking at getting a half million dollar he's in great shape looking getting a half million dollar life insurance policy how much what's funny is maybe i shouldn't have brought that up because i don't remember exactly but it was but it was, but it was like in the but it was great but but seriously it was like 20 tune in tomorrow it was like 28 dollars a month or 30 dollars a month it was it was unbelievable yeah. yeah yeah i wish i had a machine where i could go plug that in right now if only there was a place stackybenjamins.com forward slash haven life you plug it in because we're gonna take a call right now from Claire. Let's throw out the lifeline to Claire. Hey, Claire. Hi, Joe and OG. This is Claire calling in from Maine. I'm 25 years old, and I can't contribute to a retirement plan through my job. So I opened up a Roth and a traditional IRA on my own, and I'm contributing to them through my own bank account. My question is this. Since I'm contributing on my own and not through my job, money gets taken out of my account after I've already paid taxes on it. How do I make sure that I'm able to get those taxes back on the traditional and have them counted on the Roth so I don't get taxed twice? For my own research, it looks like I'll have the option to explain all of this when I file at the end of the year, but I wanted your advice to see if there's anything else I should know about or should do, since this is my first time contributing to either a Roth or traditional. Thanks so much, and I love the show. Awesome. And we love you, Claire. Mm -hmm. Claire Okay, really cool. So uh, a couple things just as a for instance – probably knows this, but just in case you can't contribute to both an IRA and a Roth beyond the, the max, right? So the max is $5,500 total. She could divide that in half though. She could say. do however she wants to get that 5,500, but you cannot do 5,500 in each. Well, I guess you could, but then it will backfire the tax plan that you're trying to do here. So don't go over 5,500. Real simply, it's reported uh, Roth contributions, because they're after tax, they don't go anywhere on your tax forms. The account is noted as a Roth IRA, and upon distribution, the custodian, the place that has the money, would send a report to the IRS to say that this was an I, a Roth IRA contribution and distribution, and, and you know you reconcile it on your taxes upon distribution. For a traditional IRA, it's just a simple question that gets asked on your on your tax forms. Um, did you make any contribution to a traditional IRA this year? And if so, how much? And you'll put that number in. It will magically appear on your tax forms. And that's how it's uh, reconciled from that point forward. Again, upon distribution, the custodian, the place where the money is, will send a report to the IRS that year that says that you took X dollars out. And that's how it's reported as income, you know, some 30, 40 years from now, I suppose. Uh, so really not hard to do. You just have to look for the question. If you're doing TurboTax or something like that, just look for the question. Something to note here, though, if you're contributing to an IRA and you want to get a tax deduction, you can't do that if you have access to an employer-sponsored plan. So if you have access to a plan and you choose not to use it, you don't get the deduction. Right. If you think the plan stinks or if it does stink, yeah. too, too bad. Wah, wah. You, you <laughs> have to... I mean, you can still do the IRA. Debbie Downer again. You can still do it. You just don't get the tax deduction today, right? So be aware that, you know, if you're ineligible and then you become eligible and you go, well, I don't want to do that. I'm doing it in my IRA. That's fine. You won't get the tax deduction anymore. Okay. So a couple little side notes there. 
Yeah. And one, just to put a point on that, nothing else you got to do, Claire. She's asking if there's something else she's got to do. Nothing else. Yeah. When you do your taxes, be sure to tell the tax person or tell yourself that you contributed to an IRA and it'll just. Hey, self, guess what I did today? Guess what I did this year? What, self? I contributed to a Roth IRA. Wow. High five. Or traditional so you can put on your taxes. We'd love to hear from you and answer your question, throw out the lifeline to you. You want us to throw out the lifeline to you? Tell you what you do. I want to throw out the lifeline. I We do. Stack you throw it out. I, I stand here on the ship and yell, it's a traditional IRA. While you're flashing the, the tax light at them. Yeah. yeah. Stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. Just go there or on our website, go to the top of the page and it says question for the show. Click on that and you'll see the Haven Lifeline right there. Super easy. Claire in Maine did it. You can do it too. Back to the mailbag. And I'm looking at the time. We're not going to get to all these. This is, this is, I thought we were going to finish. And I'll talk fast. Go really fast. I'll do like the microbrushing guy. No, nah, we don't want to do that. We want to make sure we answer everybody's But then questions. they can listen to it on like half speed and it'll sound normal. <laughs> Next letter. You ever do that, by the way? Side note, you ever listen to a podcast on one and a half X and uh, then try to dial it back to one and it's. Um, oh, it sounds horrible. Yeah. Not, not good. Acid. Last letter for today comes to us from Dylan with the markets at all time highs. It was suggested to me to buy close end funds as they traded to discount and pay good returns by selling puts against their holdings. Holy cow. That. that just, just, did we just blow up the show? Uh, Dylan, we'll get to that in a second. So I understand this as if the market goes up, you could miss some of the upside, but limits the risk of the downside while delivering a return on the puts. Although other investors could sell at a bigger discount, and make the fund price go down even more. Bam. My, my head's going to explode. Uh, sorry guys. Close in funds and options all together here. All in one fell swoop. Huh? Yeah. You want to oh. peel this apart here? Uh, not yet. Am I missing okay. something? Does it make more sense to stay with traditional mutual funds? I'm looking at small and mid-sized companies. Examples of the close-end funds from BlackRock are, and he gives some ticker symbols. He has about 500000 in Roth and a rollover 50-50 with 100000 in cash in the rollover and mainly Oof. in large companies, but some mid and small cap just in a few stocks. But I'm trying to improve my allocation, which is a reason I'm looking at these types of investments. Thank you, Dylan. P.S. Great show. And I've referred many people to it for different topics. All right. Thank, Thank you, Dylan. All right. <clears throat> Here we go. I definitely got a stretch on this one. Man. Oh. And the bad All news right. is we are running out of time. <clears throat> so here's the deal. Just big picture here, right? The way you get market returns is by taking market risk. There is no such thing as a free lunch. You have to have the downside to be able to get the upside. And so if you've got an investment product or a solution, like what you're suggesting here, that puts some limit on the downside, you are also going to exponentially affect the upside in a negative way. I don't know how to say exponentially in a negative way other than how I just said it, right? So like if you say, I'm going to cap my downside at 10, it's not like you say, I'm going to cap my upside at 10, right? Because the cost of doing all of that eats into the, the return, notwithstanding tax efficiency, that sort of thing. So let's talk about the two things that he just said, closed end funds and puts. So let's do puts first, because I think those are the easier of the two. In the market, you have stocks and we'll forget bonds because they suck anyway. So let's just talk about stocks. <laughs> you can bet on stocks going up or stocks going down without actually owning them. And that's through what's called option contracts, right? And so you can say, I bet this stock will go up by owning the stock. I want to bet by using a contract. And if it goes up, then I'll take my contract and I'll win. If it goes down, I take my contract and throw it in the trash. The same thing about the stock market going down or a specific stock going down. You can say, I think this stock's going to go down, but I don't want to buy it and watch it go down. Or I don't want to sell it short and watch it go down. I'm going to have a piece of paper that says, I bet it's going to go down. And if it does then I collect on my piece of paper. If it doesn't, I throw it in the trash. These things all have expiration dates. It's not indefinite. So you say, I bet it's going to go down between now and, you know, August 21st. And if it doesn't, you lose and the guy who made the opposite deal with you wins, right? So what they're doing here is they're saying, if, if this is correct, they're saying 
we're going to buy these puts is what they're called. We're going to buy these contracts on our stock that say we think it's going to go down. Well, that costs something. When you put a guarantee out there, you're going to have to write a check for that. No free Where's that check coming? Yeah. Coming out of your return. Okay. Stock market goes up what percent of the time? Finger in the wind, 67 to 72% of the time. Yeah. So we know that you're going to lose on this contract seven times out of 10, give or take. But we're going to still write the check. So I think that's really dumb. Here's what a closed-end fund is. Most mutual funds are what we call open-ended, meaning there's no limit to the number of shareholders, right? And then they calculate the value of the fund. So you look on your statement, it says, you know, ABC Growth Fund, it's worth $10 a share. That's calculated by the sum total of all the stuff divided by the shares. Boom, that's the value, right? That's the asset value of the fund. Closed-end funds have two numbers. One is what's called the net asset value, which you're very familiar with. But because it's closed, meaning there's only a certain number of shareholders that can buy stock or buy the fund, it's limited. That is the price at which it trades at. So it's kind of a, a play on, well, here's the actual value of the stuff, but then here's the price of the interest in the stuff, right? Like, well, I think this stuff is going to go up really more. So, you know, much higher. So I'm going to buy it at a premium because I know it'll catch up. Or all this stuff, it's not worth very much, so I'm going to sell it and some yeah, other you got like this this extra lever you don't have when you're just buying an exchange-traded yeah. fund, where you're buying the value of the stuff on the inside. Yeah, this is the value plus there's like a perception of the value. There's like a meta game going on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> closed-end funds. So we've used closed-end funds in the past. I'm sure you have. But they're really expensive. They are expensive. Nowadays... I, I, 10 years ago, I, I used them occasionally because I had some pretty unique, you know, allocation classes. None of this puts in, you know, limiting my downside bull crap, but they had some kind of unique dividend patterns. Super risky because usually they use a lot of leverage. They're ultra expensive in terms of cost. That's and my, I don't, know, I don't know. Sorry, I'm going to put a pin in it. I, I don't know why you want to limit your downside because when you limit your downside, you have to be limiting your upside. And why would I want to do that? Well, I, the ups are permanent. The downs are temporary. It, I think it's also the same thing with uh, bonds versus bond funds that we talked about earlier. The more certain approach and the approach that you can wrap your head around is what's going on in the open-ended things, the exchange-traded funds. You know, I, I get how that works. The, the close-end, because you got that metagame going on, there were times in my close-end investments you didn't know why the fund was responding the way it was responding because of that metagame, because of that second layer of the fact that it's closed. It's like another market. Yeah. It's like you got the market for the stuff, and then you've got the market of the people that own the stuff. Yeah, and then and I'm now thinking— you've got, Now you got to deal with two, two people that are manic depressives, the market, and then the people who own the market. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out why my fund's going down when everything else is going up. And it's because somebody somewhere else on earth that I don't know what their intention is. I don't understand their strategy. I never will. There's no way for me to know that. They're doing something with this position that I can't fathom. And that yeah. and, and, and it affects you. And it affects me. And I don't I I just don't really like that. Yeah. Uh, not a big fan. I again this this kind of all circles back to on the financial planning front or on the investment management front. Boy, the, it doesn't have to be complicated. The more complicated you try to make it, the sexier you try to be, I think the worse off you are. And a lot of this is, is companies, product companies, recognizing that their active management stuff that generated all the money for the last freaking 60 years is going the way of the dinosaur. And people are going low-cost stuff. So now they got to create new things that cost a crap load of money and try to seduce you into buying it going, oh, well, it's got downside protection. I, I don't understand why you'd want to have downside protection because then you're going to have upside caps. Thanks. No bueno. Thanks for the letters. Everybody, thank you for the letters. We are down to two letters left. So if your name is Jason or Nir and John, uh, we've got your letters coming up. They're here, but soon. You know, next time. Yes. And by the way, if your name's not Jason or Nir and John and I haven't covered your letter, I somehow missed it and uh, let me know, but I don't think I did. I think we finally caught up. So thank you to everybody who's trusted us enough to have us uh, help you out where we really appreciate your letters. Obviously this is for entertainment purposes only find yourself some good financial help. And speaking of that, 
I say this at the end of every episode. OG is taking clients. So if you need help with your financial plan, it's stackingbenjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G, and that will take you right to OG's calendar. Uh, so you can schedule a meeting with him virtually to talk about what's going on with your financial plan and how he might be able to help you. That's going to do it for today, man. Thanks to everybody else who's left us a review. We've had a flurry of reviews lately, and it's so kind, the things that people have said. I'm looking at the clock, and I'm not going to be able to pin one on. Let's put it this way. They're going up on Mom's Fridge, but we'll tell you about them later. Uh, so thank you very much. All right. Uh, let's get out of here, man. We all have places we got to go. We'll see everybody back here on Friday. Stack more Benjamins. All right, Doug. Take it from here, man. Thanks, Joe. Just step away from the mic. You've done enough damage already today. What did we learn today, kids? First, buying individual bonds? Remember that they don't work exactly the same as a bond fund. And although OG's over screaming in the corner about you even asking about bonds, making a good decision around which bonds you buy and how you purchase them is a big key in your success with this financial tool. Second, speaking of tools, if you're trying to retire early and take money out of retirement plans, there are lots of methods you can use. If you start with the money you need and work backwards, you won't have to explore every tool available, only the ones that fit your situation. But the big lesson? Don't talk Harry Potter with Joe's mom's friend Hermione. Apparently, it's important to know the finer points between Wingardium Levioso and Wingardium Leviosa. What? I don't even... Anyway, she got real picky about this. And something about he who must not be named. What was his name? Anyway, Voldemort... Special thanks to all the listeners that sent in letters. If you're thinking about asking a question but want to jump to the front of the line, try out the Haven Lifeline. You could have an answer on a show stat. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail to leave your question. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjaminsCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcast may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Margie down at the Sizzler just told me I made something of a Freudian slip. When I asked her what that was, she said, it's when you say one thing, but you really mean your mother. This is going to be a quick after show because I seriously do have to go. Um, <laughs> but I saw a film recently that came out a couple of years ago, 2013. Okay. This was a little movie, speaking of Harry Potter, that stars one of the, remember the Weasley twins? No, I told you I didn't see any of them. <laughs> I wasn't kidding. <laughs> I was... I, I, w- I was trying to see if you were if, if if there was a bluff going on there, and apparently not. Dom Hall Gleason, Rachel McAdams, and uh, Bill Nye called about time. 
have some bad news. My parents, they're visiting. When? Now. God. Okay, okay. Um, stall them. Come on up. Um, do I live here? Oh, definitely not. Um, uh, are we having sex? Uh, yeah, but not oral. I wasn't going to mention oral. Okay, good, don't. <laughs> How did you think that was going to come up? Should we come back when you haven't got any company? Tim actually, uh, lives here. Really? Yeah, but no oral sex, I promise you. Tim, mine. And it goes downhill from there. It's, uh, th- this movie, it's funny, I saw previews for it. A couple of years ago when I was, uh, you know, because we go to discount day on the th- at the theater, our local Cinemark, my favorite place on earth. <laughs> favorite company. And of Wouldn't course. it be great if they offered you a board seat? <laughs> oh, man. But, 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 they might get a piece of my mind then. You and Carl Icahn would yeah. destroy that place. Oh, my goodness. But I saw previews for this. And and what what the preview didn't show was it showed that this movie is funny, but. It didn't show you this, that this members of this family, Bill Nye is, is his dad. And what his dad tells him is that men in the family have something they can do that nobody else can do. And that is that they can go back in time. And there's some problems and I won't get into the problems and they can't always go back in time, but, but they can go back in time and they can fix things. So he goes back and he tries to fix things and he screws them up worse, which creates some more comedy for the show. There's some stuff that happens near the end of the show that's really unbelievable. I'm like, wait a minute, didn't you say in like the science part of this, maybe this is the nerd in me where I'm like, I don't think you can do that because you violated the rule that you said you could do. You couldn't do that earlier. But if you're thinking about the rules with this movie, you're doing it wrong because this guy basically through the movie learns how to live. OG learns how to be a better man and uh, tries to have better relationships with people in his life. In an era where the romantic comedy is long, long, long gone, like you just don't see them anymore. They've been replaced by superhero movies. It it was actually a breath of fresh air. Romantic comedies generally are... The old rom-com. Yeah, generally not something I go seek out all the time, but you just don't see them anymore. And when a friend of ours down the street said, hey, we just watched this movie, here's the DVD. And uh, t- and try this out. And I, you went, where the hell do I put this thing? I know. <laughs> Does this go into Netflix somehow? Do I mail it to them and then they put it on my queue? How does it work then? I'm trying to send it to Amazon Prime. <laughs> like, what? make it work. I might you smash throwing it against your TV. <laughs> Damn you, Hulu. Damn you. <laughs> so I actually put the DVD in and watched it and really had had a great time with this movie. Because... The preview I saw over and over and over, and it never came to our theater, of course, because it's Cinemark, and they don't bring stuff to Texarkana that might be good, because we've got 57 screens still showing the crap that uh, came out like six months ago. Anyway. I saw a movie, too. I'm sorry. What's your final verdict on this? Yeah, about time. Big thumb up. Don't take it seriously. Okay. I I saw a movie, and (laughs) I cannot remember what it was because it was a kids movie. I took my kids to what, what came out, what came out a month ago? Baby. That was boss. like the big movie. Baby boss. No cars. Three cars. Three sucked. Really? Everybody we talk about this. No, but everybody else says it's better than cars Two. Oh, better than cars Two. Yes. But it sucks. Like the, yeah, it sucks. Why? There were no good jokes in it. The whole, like the newness of it was gone. It's the same story as number one, right? Like it's literally the same story. He's in a race. He blows his tire. I mean, seriously, he couldn't have blown an engine or some other thing. Blew a tire. In the previous, it's like everything changes. Nothing changed. He just had to go find his soul and get back to quote unquote racing. So he tracked down Doc's, you know, Doc's dead. So he's got to go in the junkyard. So I don't know. You should say spoiler. Yeah. Spoiler it's okay. There. I think, didn't he die in the second one? Uh, I don't even know. I don't know. I didn't see Who knows? One. But anyway, so he's, you know, he's got to track down Doc's mentor. He makes him race on a dirt track. And and then he goes up in the final race against his arch nemesis. We'll tell you what happens. But I guess you can imagine what happens probably. Because it's the same movie as Cars 1. <laughs> Just not as good. Just go back and see Cars 1 again and you're good. 
a slight twist, but yeah, God so, dang, right. waste of money. One, well, one thumb up for uh, about time, one thumb down for Cars 3. All right, guys, we'll see you later. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.